This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Tuesday, April 30th, 2019, here in San Francisco, and Wednesday, May 1st, 2019, in Hong Kong, where my guest is, and my guest is no other than Ben Sin. Hi, Ben. How are you? Hi, Miriam. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Yeah, I'm super stoked to have you on. I'm a big fan of your work, and uh, you know you've been doing some cool stuff recently, like traveling to Switzerland to see the Oppo Reno 10X. So we're going to talk about that. But uh, before we do, I wanted to know a little bit about your thoughts on this fold drama slash fiasco if you have any thoughts on that uh well i think it's very unfortunate because i I, i'm i'm a tech i'm a big techie obviously as we all are so i was very very excited about this foldable phone and i was very eager to try it it was actually unfortunate for me because the hong kong samsung was doing a private media event about two days before Samsung officially delayed it. So I was set to go and check it out. And then just like the night before at midnight, the PR emailed me and said, hey, sorry, it's off. Oh, man. Yeah. And I was almost ready to get my hands-on one through T-Mobile US. Oh, nice. For just the hands-on, like they wouldn't have given me one to take with me. And then when when it became very clear very quickly that that wasn't going to happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah unfortunate and i do want to thank the the folks at timo for you know kind of this you know entertaining the possibility until until things got a little too wonky yeah um, so, I, yeah i actually i'm i was surprised at how samsung handled it early on they they kind of downplayed it almost like what they did with the note 7 you know initially kind of dismissed it when when the first batch of problems popped up and they sent out that release saying uh, kind of basically downplayed the problem until like three or four days later when they finally conceded that, okay, this is a major issue. Yeah, I noticed that. And I feel that they didn't, you know, I would have thought they would have learned their lesson by now. Yeah, I I don't know what's going on over there. Yeah, I mean, it's, I hate to say this, but this is something that Samsung really has to work on. Like, as a big company, having had a presence in, you know, Western markets and Asian markets, I mean, worldwide presence in general, but knowing how to deal with media by now should be kind of something they know, right? Yeah. Although, although I guess one one excuse we can give Samsung is that um, they only gave out review units to kind of North American media. So it was mostly Samsung, I guess, North America that was handling everything. And I guess ultimately they had, whatever decision they made had to go back to Seoul. So they had to wait basically, I guess, half a day for whenever Seoul people can give them the final call. And I get that, but I, I think that, you know, reflects to a lot of the issues also with Chinese company in North America. It's like, you need to be able to be agile about this stuff and have uh, local people that are trusted to be able to make these decisions, you know? Yeah. I think that's a big issue. But um, what I wanted to talk about mostly on about the fold really was the fact that, you know, we covered it in the last two shows here. The first, uh, the first show um, I did with Tech Alter, uh, Martin. Mm. And uh, we we talked about mostly, you know, 
the fact that we didn't have devices, but a bunch of media had received devices in the US and we, we were excited about their initial hands-ons. In fact, we recorded this on the day that the display started failing. So we didn't cover the failure in the first show. Uh, and then next last week, um, you know, we discussed uh kind of like this whole display fiasco drama, right? And yeah. uh and and that was with Mark Watson, Sold You Knows Best from the YouTube channel. Mm. And then uh, now this week, I, I kind of want to touch on something that again happened while we were recording, Mark and I, which was the whole iFixit thing. And, and it, I think it goes ties in with what we were just talking about, you know, the whole uh, Samsung kind of putting their foot in their mouth when it comes to PR a lot. Um, what's your takeaway from them, from what happened with I, uh, iFixit? I think it, it makes them look bad that they demanded like an independent website take off take off a, a teardown, I guess, which, you know, it's not like iFixit got the device from Samsung. So it just makes them look bad. It looks, makes them look a little bit on the defensive and like they have something to hide. And that's my point. Like the whole behavior, as you said, there's a lot of parallels in the Note 7 and this. And and it's just like, come on, be more transparent, be more upfront. Understand that there's the issues with time zones, but you know, you need to be able to come across as confident, even when things are not going well, and be humble if things aren't going well. Right? It happens. It sucks. It really does. But I felt like this whole iFixit thing just kind of you said made them look defensive, and and I think I kind of understand what happened. I mean, my theory, and I think it's the theory of a lot of other people, is that. iFixit somehow acquired this device through a partner. It's very, it'd be very interesting to know who, who did it. And I think I have a feeling it might have been a carrier. Mm. And it might have been a pre existing agreement too, like that it's possible that uh, they had already agreed to get this device before all this madness happened, right? Yeah. And then, then they had it and then they took it apart. And then, of course, Samsung freaked out. And then, they were, I think it's very clear from their write-up as to why they removed the story that they didn't want to break, you know, to, to burn any bridges with that partner. Uh, and they were doing it for them and not really for Samsung. And, and I think that's fair. Um, is it fair for Samsung to have asked that partner to pressure uh, iFixit? I, I don't know. I don't really think it would have cost them too much to leave that up. Yeah. And I'm sure iFixit would have updated it, you know? Yeah. Um so... What I'm, what I'm still wondering about is how this even happened in the first place. Because, I mean, Samsung apparently has been working on this phone for years, and they've had the prototype for probably at least, at least half a year, and nobody, nobody figured out that the design is a little bit flawed, and that you know debris can get in very easily. I, I just don't understand. It's, I agree. I brought that up last week, and in the show, and I'm like, I cannot fathom how it made it past. You know, past basic quality control, if these if those are the issues, before it even made it in the hands of the media, right? Yeah, I so so I I I like had no idea how this could happen until I watched uh, Dave TD. He he made a video. I mean, it's just his opinion, but I thought it made a lot of sense. I thought he he theorized that um, Samsung was trying to rush the phone to beat Huawei to the punch, so they really didn't yeah. do any real-world testing. They only test it in the lab. And I guess when you're in the lab, it's super clean because they do all kinds of 
before you even enter a lab, they do that air, um, like the air vacuum cleaning. Yeah, where and you wear the little socks on top of your shoes and all that, and the you know cover your eye, your hair and everything. Yeah, yeah. So maybe Samsung just tests the phone in there for like however long, and they never realize that we need to take it out and about and put it in people's pockets for a couple like a, a week or something before you can tell. Yeah, I mean lint is a real issue for a lot of people, right? I know I have a lot of lint in my pockets. Yeah. Um. And and it ends up in everything, and uh, you know that alone is an issue. But then you have to deal with you know all the other potential problems, like things actually getting trapped in there. And I fix it. You know, teardown is a very well was a very well done teardown. I'm sure there's that's the other thing that's interesting about this is that how can Samsung even ask them to tear it down when it's the internet? There's copies of that teardown everywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that's how the internet works. So I'm not sure what they were thinking. But anyway, aside from that, um, they showed, you know, how potentially some ingress might happen. And you're right. It feels to me like marketing was so bent on being first and beating Huawei and that pressure from Huawei, of course, you know, having shown the Mate X at MWC, um, that they, you know, probably did not listen to the the multiple warnings from the engineering and testing teams, right? Mm, yeah. I mean, they they must have... I agree with you on the lab thing, but as I do believe there are some people must have that might have pulled, you know, the 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 uh, the alarm as I said to say, hey, you know, this is not a good idea. But they probably weren't listened to, right? Mm. That's kind of my theory. Is that you know, marketing was like, no, 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 we really need this. This is too important. Okay, yeah, that, um, that's possible too. So another, I mean, either way, it's unfortunate. Yeah. So, so what I'm interested in is. What's going on uh, at Huawei right now? Seeing this, like, I, like I feel like because I don't know if you've uh, met Richard Yu. He's Huawei's consumer yeah. boss. He's like notoriously outspoken and very kind of cocky, but in, in like a you know, Huawei generally backs it up, but they talk a lot of trash. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like Huawei right now either has two stands. It's like two extremes. They're either really cocky and just laughing internally at Samsung. Like, look at those idiots over there. Or they're, like, pretty concerned about their own device. I feel like there's no middle ground right now at Huawei. They're either one side or the other. I think you're right. I think this is definitely something they're they're following closely. And I'm sure they're putting their devices to the test further. Yeah. If they haven't already. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if... Here's my thinking. I wouldn't be surprised Huawei being the hardware juggernaut that they've shown to be in the last few years. I wouldn't be surprised if Huawei is is pretty much at the same level of you know um development as samsung is and in a sense samsung rushed to be first i i don't think that huawei is behind i think huawei is probably very close in terms of you know yeah everybody the, the whole story about you know samsung starting this eight years ago and all that i believe all this is true but i wouldn't be surprised if huawei's been doing this for quite a while and and they're probably very close to ready, but maybe the reason that they, you know, choose late summer or whatever that that date they gave for the Mate X was to do more testing, and just because reason prevailed for them, you know, they didn't feel like they needed to be first. Yeah. Whereas and- Samsung, I think, has made such a big deal about this folding phone thing for so long now that they really kind of had to follow through with being first, despite all the warnings. 
Yeah, and and um and and I didn't help that at MWC. Huawei was quite open at letting media test the phone. Like, I mean, they didn't show it off publicly, but privately, like I got to hold the phone for like a minute, and a bunch, at least probably thirty, forty people got to play with the phone. Whereas Samsung, yeah, nobody could touch the phone until they sent it out to the handpicked twelve people or whatever. So that says a lot too, I think. For sure. It's also really odd how the, the publication and the, the YouTube creators that they picked, because, you know, um, they didn't, normally you see some logic, like, you know, they look for numbers or they look for you know, circulation or they look for uh, influence or they look for, you know, maybe a, a geographic area. But if you look at the people I picked, it's kind of all over the place. There is very few West coast youtube youtube creators for example yeah like austin evans or john morrison um you know there is however some publications that were completely missed right like new york times didn't get one yeah which is kind of insane to me why well, give one to the wall street journal and not the new york times um i in my opinion as somebody who worked at pebble as a marketing and pr person in the heyday of the company uh, I, I seeded the review units for Pebble Steel, which is the the, the watch I launched at CS, I uh, mm. think, 2014. And I specifically chose to not give a device because we are we were limited in number of devices. I chose to not give a device to the New York Times and Wall Street Journal mm. because I figured, look, they're not the tech nerds, right? Like, yeah. I'd rather have them play with later devices that are non-pre-production um, when the software is even a little further polished, uh, and I feel more confident with the Virgin and Gadget and those folks having first dibs, right? Yeah. And it, it caused quite a stir. I, <laughs> I got in trouble with Wall Street Journal when they mm. found out that uh, the Virgin and Gadget, but I, I explained it to them. I said, look, this is, I, I want you to have this as if you were a consumer, right? Not the early adopter tech savvy bulk, right? Yeah, and uh, it's a tough one when you have a limited number of devices. So I understand these constraints, having been on the other side of the fence. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, Samsung, this, their messaging around this was so like so BS. You know, yeah. it's like come on, we can read through the lines and and but this whole iFixit thing, I think they should just left it alone and. You know, I would, instead of having ask, asking them to take it down, I would have said, hey, would you consider it do, doing a completely like in-depth update once we have a newer device, you know, yeah. that kind of like supersedes in terms of visibility on your site, the previous one. That's what I would have asked. I wouldn't have said, please take it down or, or pressured my partner that is also their partner, right? Or whatever. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a of a cultural difference too, because because I I think I think any American company would understand that if you ask someone to take it down, it looks it looks worse, it looks bad. Yeah. But yeah. um, Asian companies like I can totally see Huawei or another Chinese company doing the same thing. I think just Asian companies have a different mentality. It's more like like we just need to get it off the internet, like not knowing that that actually helps it go viral when something gets bad. Exactly. Or gets pulled. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting because I, I, as a consultant, as you know, because I've pitched you a few times, I work with startups. Some, a lot of them are out of Asia, China in particular, and Taiwan. And so I'm acutely aware of the cultural differences. And, you know, I always have to teach them about, you know, how to handle the, the North American media, especially when they're trying to launch products in North America. And, and it's interesting to me how, uh, you know, you're right. There is certainly a, a disconnect. But at the same time, once you explain it to them, they're, 
they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And so I'm surprised that nobody, after these all these years of them being big brands and dealing with Western media, that they haven't uh, had that conversation, that somebody in the company hasn't had that conversation with them, you know? Yeah. It's it's weird to me. Like, I expect it from a startup out of Shenzhen, but I don't really expect it out of a major, major manufacturer. Um, and this is this is why, especially after the Note 7, in this case, right? The Note 7 should have taught them transparency and quick response, which is I'm not seeing at all in this. And then I'm seeing panic and, you know, um, defensiveness, as you pointed out. So, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I wanted to just kind of touch on this because, you know, I thought I'd ask you what you think. Um, but I want to move on to another thing that's kind of related. Some patents have been found out there. Um, it's always fun to browse patent databases, but there are some patents out there for a Samsung wraparound display that would cover the entire front of a phone and then, you know, kind of like do a U-turn over the top of the phone and and cover part of the back. And this would not be a folding display. This would just be a, a flexible OLED that would be, you know, manufactured to be curved and put in place. Kind of yeah. like the, you know, edges on the Samsung Galaxies today, the S Galaxies anyway. Yeah. Um, what's your take on that? Do you, do you like the idea? Are you, do you think it's cool? Do you want to see it? Uh, I, I think it's cool, but I, I think because I'm a, I'm like a hardcore tech geek, so I'm always open to all these kind of weird ideas. But I think practically, it seems like it does the exact same thing that we've already seen out of Chinese phones with two screens. The only difference screen, is yeah. you get the extra benefit of having like a screen that actually covers the top of the phone too. So I, I saw some of the pictures. Um, you can use it kind of like a ticker display when you're pulling out yeah, your purse. Yeah, exactly. There's that. So yeah. that that's the only benefit, though. Other than that, it it does the exact same thing as, as say, the Vivo Next Duo display already. So it kind of yeah. seems like using really uh, tricky technology and make the phone maybe not as durable just to add. I'm not even sure <laughs> if it's like five percent more practicality. Oh, I don't think it's for the practicality. I think it's purely a design decision at that point. I mean, there are, as you said, the ticker would be one thing. Another thing I could see happening is, imagine you have an app on the main screen, right? Like say uh, you're looking at Gmail. Yeah. Uh, imagine swiping the app upwards and it just kind of like scrolls around to the other side and you can flip the phone over and you have it on the other side. Oh yeah, that would be cool too. Yeah. That would be cool, right? Stuff like that. So, I mean, but you're right. It's you know, this the audience for this show, and, and, and you know this from me as well, we're, we're all big nerds and early adopters here. So, um, you know, form factors that are different are definitely top on top of my uh, list of interests, even if sometimes they're not the best, you know, long-term decisions. They're always interesting to explore. So I'm, I'm open to this. I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. And I think it fits really well with what Samsung's been doing in terms of flexible OLEDs, right? I mean, yeah. this is one of their strengths. And you could have a piece of curved glass here that would cover this and it wouldn't have any of the issues of wear. And I mean, you have the drop issue, right? Dropping on a corner mm. of the curve, but I think you have, you'd have less of a wear and tear issue than on a folding phone, right? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely yeah. It'd be, it'd be would be interesting. Not sure how ready that is, but I'm assuming actually it might be closer to reality because they, they can make screens up end already. Yeah, I don't think this is too far off. Um, I mean, it seems perfectly feasible to me. Um, and I don't know, the patents are interesting. They show some uses and applications for it. You're right that a lot of them are mostly the same we've seen before with the, you know, the, the Vivo and the, the Nubia 
yeah. dual screen display. So, yeah. Have you reviewed any of these, by the way? Yeah, I got to try both the Nubia X and the Vivo next to display. Yeah, I played with the Nubia at CS, um, but I didn't actually um, get a device yet. Um, mm. But I'm hoping, you know, the problem is that as a US-based publication, my podcast is it's sometimes hard to get the Asian phones, even though uh, I have some pretty sympathetic ears in some PR circles. But there are others that are like, well, US-based, why would we give you this phone? I'm like, my audience is, a lot of it is from India, a lot of it is from Asia. So it's like, you know, they want to know, and I would love to be able to show them and give them the love. But it's uh, it's interesting. It's hard to get some of the phones out here, especially if you're a slightly smaller uh, content creator in terms of your traffic, right? Yeah. And so, uh, well, and Nubia, they're a really small brand, and the PR is kind of really... Uh, inconsistent. So Nubia X, they, I don't think they gave out any, they sent out any review units other than to Chinese, like Chinese speaking media. Like I, I didn't get mine. I had to purchase mine, but that's a lucky thing. Wow. I live in, I live in Hong Kong where we get every phone really fast. So I was able to buy that probably like a week after they announced it. And I did my review of it and I sold the phone back after I was done. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think this is, I think it's something to watch. Um, I like, quirky form factors so I'm, I'm cool about it so let's let's dive into something that we've again covered for the third show now but we kind of briefly touched on it on the first show with martin and then last week with mark we talked about it a little bit more in depth because the news was fresh um all the reports were coming from zurich uh of the you know uh the the, the reno 10x launch from oppo and so you went to switzerland and you have a review unit still or you had one for a while uh no i did not i did not get to take my i i was there i got to use the phone for two days but then uh opal made us give it back before we leave so because I they're chinese phones right yeah so i don't have one on yeah me. i and don't they weren't final software right is that was that the other thing for the camera yeah yeah but i don't quite know how how it works because some of them got to take it home like Super Saf has <laughs> one definitely, but you know I understand he's like way way bigger, so I understand why Opal exactly. would make a special occasion <laughs> for. But but some of them do have a unit on them back home, but a lot of us had to give it back. Right, that makes sense. I mean, it is what it is. I I'm in the same boat as you. You know, I do write for some s- slightly bigger publications, but really my podcast is uh, doing well. But it's not like a, a huge thing, and my YouTube channel is just kind of a complement to this podcast. Mm. I think your YouTube channel is. Pretty good. You're doing, you're doing some kind of major reviews on there, so that's uh, that's pretty cool. Oh, thank you. I'm, uh, so, tr- I'm trying, trying. <laughs> I think you're doing good. Um, so, what's your take on this phone? You you compared it to the P30 Pro as well. So yeah. Um, what's your takeaway? I like it a lot. I think I think it's one of the best looking phones I've seen in recent months. But that's completely just my opinion, though, because I I like phones that are more understated. So. I like that the back of the phone is completely smooth, like the LG G8. There's no camera bump. Everything is smooth. Right. And I really like the, the black color that I tested. I did not get to see the green, but I, I think I like the black color better. And just overall, the, you know, the, there's not much missing from the phone other than waterproofing and wireless charging. Other than these two, it ticks every box. It has a Snapdragon 855. You know, it has a good camera. And the 10 times zoom is pretty legit. And the overall build, it feels very nice. No notch. So there's a lot to like with the phone. It's not too expensive. Sweet. Yeah. And interesting the way the selfie camera works, right? With that kind of like pivoting 
Oh, uh, yeah. I shark can't. fin people are calling it. Yeah. yeah I forgot about that because I rarely take selfies. But, but yeah, I think, and, and, and I actually think that shark fin design actually makes sense because if you think about it, um, only one end, like that, that component only raise, uh, elevates on one end instead of the previous design on, say, the Opal Find X or the Bevo yeah, yeah. Next, where like two sides move up. So this will, should make it more durable because you have, 50% less moving parts. Yeah, and also you don't have to worry about, you know, the issue when you have uh, two rails on which something slides yeah. vertically, like in a straight line motion, is if one side binds, right, you're you're kind of stuck. So with a pivot, the, the only way this can bind now is on one side, and then the whole thing is useless. But um, it's less likely to because you always have that pivot, which, you know, as a pivot acts, acts as a lever, so any obstruction might actually be less of an issue, right? Yeah, so so definitely so, um, makes sense. It's I, at first when I saw, it, I thought it was just like a gimmick that they went for like a different shape just for the looks, but no, it actually makes sense for practical reasons. Cool. Um, what else is there to say? So you compared them the two cameras, the P the P thirty Pro. Yeah, just the ten times the- zoom, just the ten times zoom because that's the standout feature, and actually. I feel bad for Opal because Opal's been working on this and they've been teasing the 10 times zoom for two years now. And then somehow Huawei beat them to the market by like a month. And, <laughs> and you know, a month, it's not that long in, in most other cases, but in the cutthroat Chinese smartphone market, that's, that's a long time. That's like, that's like a year. Yeah. Like Opal, Opal <laughs> Reno, it feels like. Yeah. Opal Reno would have grabbed a lot more headlines had it beat the P30 Pro to it. If it was, you know, like the 10 times the zoom. Do you feel that the quality is a, a match? What has what had me interested was that the Oppo has a f over 3.0 aperture versus the 3.4 aperture on the P30 Pro. Does do you notice a difference in low light performance? Yeah, I think I think um, the Oppo Reno can pull in more light, but so far from what I've seen, um, the Huawei P30 Pro's ten times zoom has has more clarity. It's a more crisp image, but. This is I'm using pre-production software on Opal Reno, so I shouldn't judge that, you know, definitively. Right, of course. I mean, and they were very clear about that. Everybody's reported that. So I mean, kudos to Oppo for letting you play with it early like that. I have a question for you. Nobody's been able to answer this for me. I, I mean, I should say you're the first person I've really asked that had the device in hand. What is that tiny little round thing right below the three cameras? Is that the flash? It looks like it's kind of looks like a little icon or something it's it's not a flash the flash is actually part oh, that's of that. right it's in the shark fin yeah, yeah. So, so that thing i don't know what it is too and and i i think it's just for design design I, I, it's not a button or something right no no it's not it, i definitely couldn't figure out any use for it and and i asked opal but i haven't i i haven't heard back yet i should actually yeah. probably double check i'm pretty sure it's just a design because uh, yeah, I've, I think it's just a design. Yeah, I've read a couple of other people's write-ups and nobody knew what it does. So. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I, you're right, I knew the flash was on the shark fin, but so I, I, but I was kind of second-guessing myself. Every time I look at it, I'm like, what is that? A button, yeah. a logo, a, a little design feature, an, a, an LED of some kind, like what, anyway. Um, cool. I, what about the rest? I mean, did they let you play with, they let you play with all the cameras, right? This th- yeah. this does have the Sony IMX five eight six the forty eight megapixel sensor correct yes how did that perform in that application um I thought it performed very well I I only 
had about one day of taking photos. And from what I've seen, I, I like what I've seen so far. But I did focus mostly on the Zoom during my day the with zoom. it. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, I didn't really get a chance to to examine the 48 megapixel photos too much. But but it shoots in 12 megapixel, you know, obviously. Because then if you want to shoot in 48, yeah. it's like a hassle. You have to go yeah. into like pro mode. So just... You know. Oh yeah, it's the same on all of them. Like the View Twenties, like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, because it it does it has a quad buyer filter, doesn't it? Doesn't it do pixel binning for the yeah, yeah by default, and then you can decouple it if you want. But yeah, yeah. And I'm really impressed with the camera overall. Um, Oppo's night mode. I'm not sure if they call it night mode or night something, but the night mode it works very well. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that phone. Um, I hope that Alex, uh, <laughs> Oppo, here's my uh, here's my. Uh, <laughs> My wanting this so bad, I did ping him about it, but uh, he doesn't know me super well, so I'm hoping that mm. uh, that he uh, he can get me a review in it once it's actually available. Uh, because photography is one of the long time focuses of my interest in mobile mobile phones and mobile technology. So we'll see how it goes. Um, anything else that stood out for you about this phone? I mean, obviously, there's a lot to talk about because it is their flagship and it does have, uh, you know. Uh, Notch the screen and a bunch of stuff. Is it a 1080p display or Quad HD? 1080p. 1080p. Cool. It's a really affordable phone, isn't it? Though compared to the P30 Pro. Um, compared to the P30 Pro, yes, but it's still more expensive than than say um, any of the OnePlus or Xiaomi's or Honor's. It's I think it's like what 799 euros, so that's like about 850 US. So it's not cheap, but it's not expensive. It's right. still like two, three hundred dollars cheaper than what Apple, Samsung, and Huawei are charging for the top phone. So, okay, well, I mean, that sounds. I still think that sounds pretty good. Like for what you're getting there, yeah, eight fifty five. You know, yeah, it feels very premium in the hand. So, and it has an in-display fingerprint reader. Yes, yeah, and it works very well. Optical, I presume, right? Yeah, optical. What's your stance on it? Because I know MKBHD, huh. he, he's really critical of it, but. I like the optical better than Samsung's fingerprint. I I think I just think it's faster. So, so far, I only have one data point for the third gen sensors, which is what I have in my mate. Um, sorry, P thirty and P thirty Pro yeah. devices, and I have to say it's a huge improvement. Um, the the second gen of uh, sensor that I have in my Oppo R seventeen Pro, and in my OnePlus six T, uh, the various colors of OnePlus six T that I have. Um, are definitely too slow and unreliable for me to feel comfortable recommending them. Mm. Um, but I think the third gen has solved that problem, at least the Huawei one. I, I haven't played with the Oppo one, and I, I'm sure the OnePlus 7, when it comes out, will have a, a, an updated sensor, at least I hope. Um, because that was, when I reviewed the OnePlus 6T, I felt that that was the, one of the major steps backwards in terms of, yeah. Like I like the technology, like I want it to be in the display. I think it's cool, but it's more important to me that it works almost like 99% of the time, like the rear fingerprints sensors do. And the ultrasonic and the Samsung is definitely better than the second gen optical, but I feel that the P30 Pro and P30s that I have are still faster uh, yeah. with their third gen optical sensors. Yeah, so, pers- yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if like, each individual's fingers a little, works a little bit differently because I, I was always surprised when I hear like MKBHD and a couple of others say the optical scanners on the P30 Pro wasn't good. When it, it, from my experience, I can unlock the P30 it's Pro really good. Um, faster and more accurately than I can my Samsung Galaxy S10 Plus. So, 
And, uh, For me, it's about a wash. It, they're about equivalent. Okay. They're, I would say, reliable enough that I don't feel frustrated and I don't want to knock that feature. Yeah. That's basically it. And, and there's still room for improvement in both, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I have some good news because you're asking about the, uh, you're wondering about the OnePlus 7. I'm pretty sure it's going to get improved to the, at least the third generation because I, I don't think, I don't even know if this is public info yet, but um, one, so the OnePlus, Oppo, Vivo, Huawei, all their, in the display fingerprint sensor comes from the same vendor. It's a company in ah. China called Goodex. I'm actually working with them now to try to do a story on it. But basically, all the devices use the same scanner across. I didn't know that until like a couple of weeks ago, too. Wow. That doesn't surprise me, to be honest. But that's good to know. I mean, look, if they can jump to a fourth gen sensor on the OnePlus 7, I'm on board. I mean, the third, as I said, I feel I don't feel frustrated and I feel I can use it. The second was still too bad. The first was just unusable. Um, but I still feel like, you know, the P30 Pro and the P30, just like the Galaxy, even though they're completely different technologies for the fingerprint sensing, they are still, there's still enough false misses that I sometimes think, ah, this, this needs improvement. Mm. Whereas, you know, I'm hoping that it gets to a point where it just feels like the capacitive ones in the back of phones or in below display, like in the old days, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like nobody does that anymore because everybody wants zero bezel. So yeah, <laughs> remember the P twenty and P twenty Pro when they showed them to us like last year. I mean, I was super stoked about the camera and stuff, but yeah. that ugly front facing fingerprint reader with the at the bottom of the chin there. I was just like, no, you're going backwards. Yeah, especially since yeah. the since the Mate ten had a smaller chin because it had the fingerprint sensor on the back on the In Mate the ten Pro. Back, yeah. I know, yeah. I know. It was so weird. Oh well, I think we're. I think that's all being resolved now with the P30 Pro and the P30. So I think we're good. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that phone, and I'm looking forward to comparing it with the P30 Pro. And you know, I'm sure that we'll be comparing this phone as well because Oppo and OnePlus PBK. You know, that we'll be comparing this phone with the OnePlus Seven Pro or yeah. whatever that variant's going to be called. Um, because there's rumors, uh, and, and we'll get to that in a second, uh, but there's rumors that it has a three times optical zoom, which is not obviously the same as a periscope 10 times zoom. Yeah. Um, but, but this would be the first, uh, one plus phone with a three times optical. So, uh, before we talk about that though, I want to really touch quickly on the Moto G7 power I reviewed. Have you played with any of the G series from Moto this year? Um, I have not. They're, they're the one... They're, they're one of two or three brands that completely uh, fell between the cracks in terms of my coverage because Modo doesn't, um, they don't really have a market in Hong Kong anymore. So there's no Hong it's Kong Lenovo, PR. It's Lenovo, right? Yeah. yeah. So absolutely. they don't they don't have Hong Kong PR and I don't have much contact with Lenovo. So I've never played with the phone and I don't see the phone on sale in Hong Kong too. But I read your review and it seems like a pretty, pretty reasonable phone. Yeah, I was surprised, you know, so the G series in North America has been kind of like the the flag bearer, I don't want to say flagship because flagship means something else, but the flag bearer of the mid-range. Like if you, th in, in North America, if you want to buy a phone with a warranty that's unlocked, that's a mid-range phone, yeah. there's very few. And the one that really sticks out every year since the original Moto G is the G series. So the G, the G2, then the 3, the 4, the 5, the 6, 7. We're at 7 now. And um, starting with the 5, there was a bit of a change in 
price going kind of like what what plus did you know price going up but build quality and materials going up as well until the up to the g4 and including the g4 it was kind of like it's a plastic phone we make no excuses for it it's affordable it has great features and great specs for the money and that was good but then with the five they started they used the metal back they still had a plastic chassis but they had a back a metal back and you know they used the same camera sensor as the Galaxy S7 at the time, mm. but without OIS, which is a pretty great sensor if you remember at the time. Yeah. So an OIS-less version of the Galaxy S7 sensor in a two hundred dollar, two hundred fifty dollar phone. Um, so that was the G5, and then the G6 knocked it out of the park. I reviewed it last year. It's on the same website as my G7 Power review, and they made a full metal and glass, like aluminum chassis glass front and back Mm. uh mid-range phone that was good at everything for 250 us dollars it was amazing and it was the only thing i would say was a bit of a drawback potentially was snapdragon 450 because that has not aged well you know yeah but at the time it was still competitive a year ago so that was the g6 but then the g7 things changed with the g7 so in the last few years they've kind of had a play edition, which is a cheaper version, hmm. and a plus edition, which is kind of a on steroids version. And then the middle one has always been the, the G without any suffix, right? Yeah. So it's got G play, uh, G regular, and G plus. This year, they added a fourth one that's right below the, the G7 regular and above the G7 play called the G7 power. And that one is has basically a one-trick pony in a way. It's all about battery life. It's got a 5,000 milliamp hour battery. Hmm. And- when I went in, they sent me both that and the regular G7 to review. And I was all set to review the G7 because I'm like, this is the one we review. We all review the, the, the baseline one because there's lesser and better and it's going to be great. I'm sure of it. And I received them both and I immediately noticed that the G7 this year is pretty much like the G6 last year. Great in every way, except that they're cheaping out a little bit because the chassis is plastic. Mm. So glass back, glass front, but instead of an aluminum frame with antenna bands, they have a some sort of polycarbonate resin kind of material in the middle. And obviously, it's probably more durable and cheaper to make. But the price has gone up by 50 bucks. So it's almost $300. Hmm. And so I was like, what are you doing, Moto? And the only thing I can think of is that the they've updated the entire series of G series phones to six, 600 now, 632 for the the bottom three and the top one is 636. So that's definitely more power. That's definitely a much better experience, Mm. especially today with the demands of Android Pie, right? So I was like, okay, the price has gone up. It's plastic, but overall it's the best. But then I looked at this power they sent me alongside and I was like, wait a minute, are you the secret sauce in this new mid-range g-series because you seem really cool you're 50 dollars cheaper than the regular g7 you have 250 us dollars so the same price as the g6 was last year you still have the snapdragon 632 in you you have a 5000 milliamp hour battery and you make no excuses about being a plastic phone you're full plastic right Mm. glass front plastic uh, shell um and then in the back there's a like full glass it's like plastic that's made to look like glass. So it's like plexiglass, I guess. Mm. So it does have that kind of premium look, but when you touch it, you immediately know it's plastic and you're like, okay, it's cheaper. And I thought to myself, yeah, 
the display is 720 instead of 1080. The camera is a single camera in the back, but the same specs as the other camera uh, on the G7. And you have a 5,000 milliamp battery and you're $50 cheaper. You seem much more interesting to me. So I reviewed that one. <laughs> and, mm. and I put a little paragraph in there comparing it to the G7 so people can make educated decisions. But ultimately what blew me away about it was it is a solid mid-ranger that has literally three-day battery life. We're talking about 12 to 14 hour on screen, screen on time. Mm. It's amazing. And I think a lot of that is to do with the Snapdragon 632 being efficient, but also they, they went down to 720p displays. You lose a bit of resolution. Yeah. Um, and you do notice that on small fonts, but that's because I'm used to flagships all the time, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, most people won't notice. Uh, it's still a good display. And then the camera having no second camera in the back uh, means that you can't do portrait with parallax. So it's doing actually face recognition for portrait. Mm. Um, and it's okay. I mean, honestly, other than a pixel, I still don't think there's any phone that does portrait properly. <laughs> yeah. I could be wrong. I could be biased, but that's my opinion. So I'll let that go for a $250 phone. Yeah. So honestly, I felt it was a pretty good mix. Are there any phones out there for you in a new market in Hong Kong that hit that 200 to 300 US dollar price point that you feel that you want to recommend to everyone every time? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, not necessarily in Hong Kong, because Hong, um, but more like in China and Southeast Asia, because they get really good budget phones. So what I was about to say as I, I was talking about the Molo G7 is, is um. The U.S. market's kind of in a vacuum, so it's because you know they, they oh, yeah. Chinese brands aren't available there. So, at least most Chinese brands, so they can still price phones at this range. Because I don't think the G Seven, like like you said, it's a good deal. But that's because you live in the U.S. Um, for American Correct. consumers. Because if you put this yep. compared to the stuff that's available here, it's actually not a good value. Because um, I'm testing right now a Meiju 16S. Meiju is a smaller Chinese company. Yeah. And it has a Snapdragon 855 chipset, completely glass and metal construction, and the phone sells for $420. So, Wow. Yeah, so just Chinese Chinese brands, um, the stuff they're selling to Southeast Asia and China are just completely, it's almost kind of like they're, they're, they're bending the rules to to um, what a mid-tier or budget device should be. Almost to the point that they're undercutting their own flagships. Like, I think Honor phone does the same thing. Like, sometimes, like, the Honor View 20 and the Honor Play, it runs on the same chipset as, like, the Huawei flagships, but it's, like, half the price. So it almost yeah. makes it... It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, so it's almost like if you look at the two phones side by side, it's not worth it to get the the Huawei... At the time, it was the Mate 20 over the, the Honor Magic 2 or the Honor... View 20. View 20. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm aware of that because I've been following this. But of course, when I'm writing for Geekspin, being primarily US audience, yeah. I have to think about that. So in my in my conclusion, I said, you know, you probably saw it. I said, like, um, you know, the Honor 8X is a phone that is not available in the US, whereas the previous, the 7X, the 6X were available. Um, and I said, you know, the, the Huawei Mate 20 Lite um, would be phones that if you can buy them, maybe without a warranty, and if assuming the bands work in the US, that I would probably pick over this G7 uh, power or the G7 in general. They don't have quite the large batteries though, but they probably have pretty good stamina because Kirin chipsets are pretty good. Yeah, so uh, so I wonder how how much longer, like how many more years this can last where the US kind of operates in, in a vacuum in terms of the market because I feel like 
10 years ago, this could fly where you have two drastically different uh, markets and prices. But now, you know, anyone who's tech savvy will go online and do a search and be like, whoa, I can get like an Honor View 20 if I order it off a website. Even if you, even with the markup, it's a it's still a much better deal than, say, a lot of other so-called mid-tier phones that you would get officially in the U.S. But the only issue is, like you said, you might not get warranty and the bands may not work fully. That's the biggest challenge. Like I got an 8X review unit from from um, uh, Huawei USPR, and they were very clear to me. They're like, this is European model, and unlike our high-end flagships, it has no bands for the US. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean no bands? Like, there's <laughs> always one band that'll work. And I was astonished, Ben, that I could get, only get 3G, 3G HSPA <laughs> okay. on AT&T, but not on T-Mobile. And I was relegated to 2G Edge on T-Mobile. <laughs> and no LT whatsoever. Okay. And so there, there's that. But the other problem too, you have to understand is even when I review the G7 Power, which is a readily available with warranty phone that you can buy, not just from Moto directly on the website, but you can go to Best Buy and B&H, the camera store in New York City and, and other places and buy it with a warranty. Even though those phones exist, they sell maybe five of them a year. I'm joking. I'm exaggerating. Mm. But like, you know what I'm saying? The US... um market is so weird because people just go to their operator. Yeah. And when they go to their operator, they immediately get upsold to a flagship. Yeah. Why? Because you can get like a a nice iPhone or Galaxy S series phones, even like an S9 from last year even, for less than $20 a month. Yeah. And and they always sell them to you as kind of like this this package, you know, no interest for two years, $20 a month. As long as you have service with us, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, markets like the U.S. and Japan, they're they're always gonna baby go for mostly um, flagships, and then meanwhile, you have um, developing markets like in Southeast Asia, India specifically, where they go for the really good value. So that means th- these mid tier phones. Um, I I just don't see how they can have a future in a couple of years. Just like LG, you know, LG's mid tier lineup has basically died yeah. out because gone no yeah. no one's gonna buy it because people are either buying flagships or you can spend two three hundred dollars on and get a really good phone like oppo has a sub brand called realme and their phones yeah. are amazing for two hundred dollars and there's redmi right too which is uh redmi, redmi xiaomi right? yeah but but yeah i've been testing yeah. the, the realme um the phones and for two hundred dollars it's seriously it's 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 really really good like it's almost like to a point now where when people ask me what phones to buy I always ask them, are, are you like a really techie power user? Because if you are, then I'll recommend the flagships. But if not, there's no reason to get a flagship. You might as well just get like, a, get like a OnePlus. Or yeah. if you want to go cheaper, get an Honor or a Realme. Because it will do exact same thing that most people do day to day. Like go on Instagram. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Until, ne- until last year, 2018, when the Honor 7X was the last phone sold by Honor in the U.S., and that was just, it was announced December 2017, just before the whole thing went down at CES with Huawei pulling the Mate 10 yeah. from AT&T stores. Remember that? Yeah. Um, so uh, until then, we ha- we always had a pretty healthy competition from ZTE and Huawei or Honor in the low in the mid-range in the US. And then it just vaporized overnight mm. because of that that mishap. And then because of the ZTE thing, right? The, you know how they were fined? Yeah. Um, 
that he just vaporized. Now they're back, but they're going to have to rebuild their brand equity. Um, so it's it's challenging because Moto's always been there, and now Moto kind of owns the market. And that's why I recommend these phones saying, like, beware of the bands, but I, I recommend them. And then I also finish my, my review by saying, you know, for me, honestly, if you're going to spend almost $300, like, say you... You decide to not get the G7 Power, but you want to get the G7 Regular, which is list price 300. Of course, your street price will find it a little cheaper. But at that point, you know, you can go online and buy a Pocophone F1. Yeah. And you're getting a way better phone in every way. Yeah. And it works in the US. It works fine. It has all the bands because it's not going to 845. Yeah. So, so that's what I've been saying to people. I was like, you know, if you're really tech savvy, Spend a little more, but get yourself something like a Pocophone or, like you said, an Honor Play yeah. um, or something like that. Right. Because the Honor Play has the Kirin 970, so it's actually, all the bands are supported, right? Because these flagship chips, they have the radios that go with it. So Yeah, I, I think at this point, the mid-tier market in the US uh, only cater to to people who are try, trying to save a bit of money, but also they're not like too tech-savvy. They're not going to read like Android Authority, for example. They would just kind of walk into a carrier and, and try to, or a Best Buy and try to find something in the budget. Because you're right, anyone that, if they do a little bit of research, they will know, wow, if I get a, a Redmi or a Xiaomi, you can get a Xiaomi Mi Mix 3 right now. If you order online and ship it to the US, you can probably still get it for under 450 bucks. And that's, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating thing. So that kind of brings us actually as a good segue to the OnePlus 7 Pro and that three times zoom camera we just kind of talked about a little bit and the reason it brings us there is because OnePlus is the only brand in the US that's a Chinese brand that is successful yeah. in so far that haven't, they haven't, don't have the stigma of being a Chinese or a Huawei or ZTE associated company um, and they are sold officially by T-Mobile USA in their stores and they have a little uh, sp special display in every store and they have them in stock in every store so you know, you, when you walk into a T-Mobile store in the US, you're not just encouraged to either buy an iPhone or a Galaxy S. You're encouraged to also look at the OnePlus 6T. And so I'm super excited about what's going to happen with the OnePlus 7 and OnePlus 7 Pro this year. Uh, whether, first of all, whether both these phones will come to the US or only one. And if, you know, whichever one does come or both come, uh, what it means, whether more operators are going to pick them up in the US. And uh, again, this pro uh, three times camera, those samples from Wired UK look really good, right? Yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah, and, and, and to your point, I think OnePlus's marketing team has done such an amazing job. They, they are probably the most beloved Android brand to Western reviewers, in my opinion, but I guess because the, uh, the software is so clean too. Like, I feel like if you read any English reviews from the US or UK, they, they, they all love the OnePlus phones. Because for the good pricing, yeah, and, the clean, and I have to say software. I love it too. For me, it's you know as a primarily a, like I've long time I've always had the, my main phone has always been an Exus or a Pixel, primarily because I wanted to have the the purest Android and the most updated Android in my pocket. Yeah, and honestly, I'm finding it harder and harder proposition when OnePlus is doing such a great job uh, with an almost completely stock experience as well. Yeah. And I don't know this. This uh, maybe the OnePlus Seven Pro, I, based on all the leaks so far, uh, might sway me to make that my daily driver. Because, you know, for me, the biggest issue with the Pixel Three XL is it's ugly, <laughs> and um, you know, the hardware for the price could be more refined. 
Yeah. Um, and more importantly, it could be better specced. Like four gigs of RAM is ridiculous, but also a single camera. If Google, with their incredible computational photography expertise, had multiple camera sensors and lenses in the back of a Pixel device, um, you know, first of all, it would bring them into parity with the rest of the flagships at the same price. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do in October, but which is usually when they launch their new flagship phones. But I think at the same time, you know, I feel like they missed the boat on doing that for the three series because they, they could see the, the writing on the wall was very clear, you know, last year about this time of year that 2019 flagships would have multiple cameras. Yeah. Right. And then they came out in October with this phone with the multiple camera in the front, but not in the back. And can you imagine if they had the, the hardware equivalence of what Huawei has in terms of uh, lenses and sensors, if they could apply their computational photography, that I think is way better than Huawei's computational photography, to to those to that hardware, it'd be it'd be magical, and that's what I want to see Google do. But I have a feeling that Google's not going to do that. Yeah, like, so it's frustrating. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not too familiar with the Google because uh, their phones aren't sold in Hong Kong, and but but I've I've tested it, and and yeah, like great camera, but everything else like the hardware. It's just like, I don't know what they're thinking. It's very meh, yeah. right? Exactly. And and I, yeah, for a while, you could kind of get away with that because really the software was what really you wanted to experience. Yeah. And as long as the rest of it was okay. But now I feel like everybody in the flagship world has really pushed the envelope hard. Like everybody's trying to outdo each other with like, you know, gradient colors under, under like matte glass, like all this really cool stuff that we see Oppo, Vivo, and, and all the Chinese manufacturers making, including OnePlus and including Huawei. Um, and, and, you know, at the same time, you know, here we are with just another slab of glass that and metal that, you know, as Apple likes to say, the phone is a window into the software. It doesn't need to be flashy. And I don't agree with that. I think your hardware should be flashy. Like, hardware should be cool. The software should certainly be cool as well, but... You know, it's kind of the other extreme. Like in, in China, you know, some of the user experience I feel is a little, I mean, at least for somebody who's used to stock Android is a little brutal and difficult. Oh, yeah. I mean, trust, right? trust me. I, I I agree with you. Chinese software skins, a lot of them are very, very bad. Like I, even even Huawei's EMUI, I don't, I don't like EMUI at all. So <laughs> Neither do I. It's yeah. interesting because it's the opposite, right? The hardware is incredible, but the software is like, ugh. And then you go to Pixel and to iPhone, and I feel the, the 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 software is really what shines. And, and I'm not saying the hardware from Apple and the hardware from Google is bad, yeah. but it's just generic. It's kind of boring. Yeah. It's I think the Apple one is certainly better crafted than the Google one, um, but I feel like overall there doesn't seem any to be any passion there. You know, yeah. To me, a phone is not only the, your, your main personal computer these days, it is also an expression of who you are. And having color choices, having material choices, having design choices, is interesting. And that's what people shouldn't just get a good software experience, they should get a good hardware experience too. And and that's, if you go flagship, like, and that's where the Pixel is right now, Pixel 3 and Pixel 3 XL, they're, in, they're categorized as flagship devices, but I don't feel that they live up to that, you know? Yeah, me neither, so, other than the camera. Because even the software, the camera. E even the software, I, I prefer OnePlus software over stock Android, but that's just my It's interesting. Yeah. I prefer, yeah, I prefer Aesop actually, uh, or slightly modify ASOP, like what Moto's doing, what OnePlus is doing, yeah. um, then I feel that Google's now, the Pixel Foster experience is almost a skin in its own right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
it's almost deviate too far from uh, the Android open source experience, in yeah. my opinion. And and, but, and also the yeah. new the new pill navigation on the Pixel. I, I Oh my god, the fact that you're forced into that yeah. is one of my biggest gripes with my Pixel. Yeah, I I, that, I don't like that navigation at all. So I, I'm so glad like I just like the OnePlus software so much better because it gives me the options to I can use the pill if I want or I can use or in, the buttons. Yeah, or in my opinion, OnePlus is superior swiping gestures. Gesture. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. And that kind of brings us to the next topic. We were talking about pixels a lot. And, um, you know, there is two kind of bits of news. There's been more leaks. Um, DB Leaks has leaked some uh, some pictures of the, you know, supposedly coming soon, potentially at Google I.O. next week, Pixel 3a and 3a XL, which are going to be mid-range pixels that are still probably going to benefit from the camera experience, but, you know, have lesser chipsets and lower price points and headphone jacks and all that good stuff. And honestly, in my opinion, might actually be better fits for what Google's trying to do with the Pixel line. Because if you look at, you know, as I said, they don't, it's not really good enough as a flagship, the 3 and 3XL anymore. Yeah. Now it might be fixed with the Pixel 4. But in the meantime, here we're going to have some mid-range phones that are going to be aggressively priced that are probably going to be 90% of a Pixel 3 or Pixel 3 XL experience. Um, and I think fit in better with the philosophy that that Google is kind of going after. And more importantly, uh, might be more of a, you know, a better fit for the market right now where it's a, it's a tough sell to make flagships these days because it's really expensive and people are not, wanting to spend as much money anymore right yeah so um i, I yeah I, I don't know but see when you said earlier it should be competitively priced but but again i think that's by u.s standards right because the phone's still probably no, exactly be, no i absolutely yeah like five six hundred bucks thank maybe, you for so, saying that yeah. yeah i think we're looking at 450 or something oh, okay uh and to i mean i think for the small one which you're right it's still like you can get a poco phone for three hundred dollars <laughs> Yeah. You're done. Like, I mean, it's hard to justify, right? Yeah, like Chinese um, Chinese brands have completely just thrown a monkey wrench into into <laughs> what we used to think of with consumer electronics pricing. So, but yeah, I, I definitely think in the US or North America, the Pixel 3a, it's going to have a good market because you get a really good camera yeah. for uh, 450 bucks or whatever. But I just, I don't think these well, I don't think pixels are even sold officially in Asia, but they have no chance in selling in Asia. Basically, at, oh no, yeah. that's not going to happen. I mean, this is mostly US and then maybe Europe. Um, and I think that it's interesting in so far that you're right. I, I'm when I say you know price more competitively as I meant for this market, um, because ultimately, as I said, a Poco Phone F1, the F1 is such a great phone for the money. The camera, I mean, you know, again, if we, if they can deliver with the Pixel 3a the same quality of camera experience as a regular Pixel 3, say they use the same module, right? Yeah. Um, and they've optimized the crap out of it to run on the Snapdragon 600 series or 660 or whatever they're going to use. Um, it might just make the 3 and 3XL completely worthless, you know, irrelevant, mm. basically. Yeah. Because that's really the only thing you're gaining right now by buying a regular Pixel 3 or 3XL, right? Yeah. So, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. So, let's stay tuned for next week because I'll be doing a show from Google I.O. I'll be at Google I.O. Um, I'm sure I'll have um, one of the usual suspects of the U.S. tech journalist, or maybe even uh, somebody from abroad. Last year, I had uh, Michael Josh oh, um, cool. of, of Gadget Match as my, my guest because he was there on site. But it'll be somebody that's on site. Uh, so, stay tuned. We'll, hopefully, they'll launch this phone there and we'll be able to talk about it without guessing 
Um, in the meantime, what are your thoughts on this Moto Razor stuff? As you know, that's another very US-centric thing. The Moto Razor was a huge hit here. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of nostalgia for it. So a folding phone in that form factor is a very interesting. It's the other it's going the other direction from the the Galaxy Fold, right? Instead of making your regular phone bigger, this is making your regular phone smaller when it folds in half. Yeah, I I, I like it. Like I'm a fan of all cutting edge technology and I think this will fit in the pocket a lot better than the Mate X or the Galaxy Fold. But For sure. Yeah, but unfolded, the screen becomes like just longer Super than it is like a tablet size. Narrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so I guess this will be for completely for um productivity because you won't be able to watch benefit from it like watching a video in tablet size instead it'll be good for running two apps side by side or like a super long like google keep notes or something that'll be fun well i think the i see i i think if they can pull it off so it's reliable enough and the price is reasonable enough compared to like the two thousand three thousand dollars that we're seeing from the mate x and the, the galaxy fold i think this might fit well with um you know, teenagers in a way, or or young people that are doing a lot of portrait video, right? Yeah. They're doing Snapchat stories and Facebook stories and Instagram stories. And imagine being able to run Instagram on the top half in portrait mode and on the bottom half in portrait mode, have your text messaging or your Snapchat or your WhatsApp app running, right? And as long as the keyboard is a good experience, you, you know, I'm thinking productivity more in, in a uh, social media communication kind of aspect than more in the traditional business kind of aspect okay here, yeah know? that's a that's a good point yeah yeah and and to me that phone you know could super hit a nerve with that that kind of crowd and especially in the u.s where it's going to be subsidized and sold by the carriers at about the same price as probably like a galaxy s10 plus you know or an iphone um 10s max so at that price point you know maybe you'll pick that phone because uh, you know, so if they keep it under a thousand dollars or even twelve hundred dollars, peop some people are gonna go nuts for it. And the fact that they can flip it in half, like snap it in half, and then get the nice, satisfying snap sound, stick it in their back pocket, you know, uh, assuming it's thin enough that it's you know, maybe even if it's one and a half times the thickness of a regular flagship today when it's folded, I think they're gonna love it. I think it's gonna be if they execute on this properly, I think it's gonna be a hit. Yeah, I thought and and the form factor has as its benefits, because this one, it'll be a lot easier to hold even when it's unfolded. Exactly. And clear phone calls too, because you'll be able to put the mic near your face, mm. right? Yeah. When you hold it to your ear. That was one of the big advantages of the Moto Razor, the original. So, yeah. I don't know, I'm exciting. It's the first time we've seen a leak of an actual, of the actual phone, uh, at least a render of it. Um, so let's see what happens. Uh, speaking of, of, of flagships, um, how do you feel about gaming phones? Because I'm not a fan. I, I just feel like Oh, me neither. It's kind of fun that it's kind of fun that they exist, but like what's the point exactly? Yeah, they're they're <laughs> I mean they're, they're in my opinion gimmicks because other than having like a lighter strip on the back and and I guess having usually they'll have stereo maybe some shoulder buttons or yeah, something. Like, yeah. Like I can do the exact same thing on any flagship. Like a Samsung Galaxy S10 can run any game just as well as any Nubia Red Magic or the Honor Play or or I mean, Razer phone. A Poco yeah. phone F1 again yeah. <laughs> can run pretty much any game really well as well. I, I agree with the you. The only exception is the Razer phone. I love that 120 hertz refresh rate. That that I yeah. love because that you can actually see 
see the benefits to it? Well, so there are, as you know, the Asus ROG phone has a 90, 90 hertz uh, OLED, and there's rumors that the OnePlus 7 Pro will have a 90 hertz Yeah, I'm, ex- well. I'm excited for that because it's like one of those things where once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like when I was scrolling on I a agree. Razer phone. Yeah. It's, so that's the only element of a gaming phone that I think has actually has actual benefits, the refresh rate. Other than that, like, what does having a lighter strip on the back do? I have, I have no idea why. Yeah, and, every and phone some has kind one. of obnoxious industrial design to go along with it. Yeah, too, right? like, like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. like I usually am pretty snarky when I review phones, so I've always poked fun at that, and, and I know it's annoying. That's what we like about you, Ben. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like about you. Um, the reason I'm bringing this up, by the way, in case you're wondering, all of you listeners, is that uh, Nubia launched a Red Magic 3 um, like a week ago, a few days ago, um, with uh, which is a gaming phone, the next generation with a Snapdragon 855, whereas the Red Magic Mars was uh, 845 based. And this thing has a cooling fan built in, unlike the... Uh, Asus ROG phone that has an external cooling fan accessory, um, and it can record 8K video. So that's that's the gimmicks or features. I don't want to be mean because I haven't played with it, but um, yeah. So that's it's it's a thing. It's weird that it's coming out literally three months or two months after the Red Magic Mars. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what? So what do you think of this? I mean, you've probably seen it or at least saw uh, Richard Lai's story on Engadget. I, I only saw it from Richelai's story. I have not uh, seen the phone. I think I reviewed the Red Magic 2. I didn't give it a good review, so I think I haven't heard back from Nubia since, so maybe I'm no longer on the review. Are they mad at you? <laughs> maybe, because I, I was quite critical of the Nubia Red Magic 2. Well, I have one. I played with it, and honestly, to me, I'm not a big gamer, right? Yeah. So to me, it just feels like, okay, it's a flagship. It feels like a flagship, but... Why would I buy this instead of... I, honestly, this is, again, why I'm going back. Why would I buy this instead of a phone that has a budget price tag but is a flagship in disguise, like the Honor Play, yeah. like the Pocophone F1? Because, you know, it's, they're cheaper than these gaming phones, and they perform, at least at the time when Snapdragon 845 was King of the Roost, just as well, you know? Yeah. So... Ah, it's a tough one. As you said, the, the, the high display rate and maybe the shoulder buttons, but the rest of it, I mean, I didn't hate the the Nubia uh, Red Magic Mars, but I felt like I just, it, yeah, I, I couldn't really recommend it. I'm like, spend your money somewhere on something else and still play games, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, listen, I think we've covered everything and we should probably wrap it up. Do you want to tell the audience, uh, where they can find you online? Because I know you you write for a whole bunch of different publications. Uh, and on top of that, you have your YouTube channel. Yeah, so I'm basically like an independent tech reviewer. So I I started out mainly writing for Forbes. I'm a contributor for the Forbes, so I write about tech. But I've been trying to, you know, uh, this might get me in trouble. I've been trying to distance myself from it because, you know, Forbes, unfortunately, is known for a lot of clickbait. And it really annoys the heck out of me that my stuff gets associated with that because I don't do clickbait at all. My stuff is like, you know, um, I try to do real work basically. So I I, re- I right. still do tech writing on Forbes, but I am trying to build my YouTube channel so it's my own thing. And then I also review for the South China Morning Post, which is um like a English newspaper in Hong Kong. They're actually owned by Alibaba, so 
So they have a lot of money now. Oh, they were cool. they were struggling before, but now they have a lot of money. <laughs> nice. Um, cool. And and so what's your Twitter handles and Instagram and all the other social handles where people can find you? Uh, my Twitter handle, it's Ben C. Sin. So it's just my name, Ben with a C, my middle initials and my last name. But a disclaimer to potential followers, my Twitter handle, I talk about a bunch of stuff. Like I'm quite opinionated. So I'll talk about a lot of um, movies and my thoughts on US politics, all that. So it's not a specifically like tech personality Twitter handle. But that's what makes you more interesting, Ben. I, I hope that's so, because, because, because I, I, know, I know that some people probably have followed me because they think I'm just going to treat phones and then they'll be like, oh, I have to unfollow him now because he's like <laughs> ranting about Donald well, Trump. But you know, I, I'm just, I, so I just want to <laughs> be upfront. So don't follow me if you are pro-Maga, pro basically. <laughs> <laughs> we make fun of Trump on this show a lot. Okay. So don't worry. Yeah. Uh, you're in good company. Um, uh, you know where all to find me. I'm uh, at Tankerl on Twitter and Instagram. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character Tankerl, but without the vowels. And um, I do have a YouTube channel that's a compliment to the podcast. You'll see unboxings, hands-on, sometimes reviews, but just mostly visual content to go with the show here. Uh, YouTube.com slash Miriam Joar. That's my full name spelled out. If you don't know how to spell my name, go to my Twitter and my full name is there. So just spell my full name without spaces and my YouTube uh, will pop up on youtube.com. Um, also, please uh, subscribe to the podcast if you stumbled upon the podcast by accident. Uh, it's mobiletechpodcast.com, the URL. You can find the RSS feed there, but we're on all the big platforms, Apple, Google, Pocket Cast, Overcast, TuneIn Radio, even Spotify. So just look for Mobile Tech Podcast and hopefully subscribe. Remember, tell your friends, tell your friends about the YouTube and subscribe to that. Like the videos if you do. All that good stuff. I also want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible.com is the place to go for audiobooks. If you love books, but maybe you can't read because you're driving all day or working all day and you need to be paying attention visually to what you're doing, um, Audible.com's got you covered. Great books, great selection. Many books are read by the authors, which I think is really cool. Uh, check it out. Um, there is a special deal. If you subscribe uh, to Audible now, you'll get 30-day free trial with the link that's in the show notes. And so that's a pretty cool thing. 30-day free trial. Um, audibletrial.com slash mobiletech is the link. That's audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. I'll put it in the show description as well. Um, so thanks, Ben, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. This is my first time as a podcast guest talking about uh, tech. Well, listen, you're like a pro. Like, you sound like a total natural. You should come back sometime. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have you back in the future. And in the meantime, folks, stay tuned for next week's show. We'll have one, of course, as always. And until then, take care. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.